0: That last song was Psalms 19, and it uh, should be a psalm that we read every day and contemplate every day. It could be a big ouch you know, when you when you uh, read it and kind of think back of what yesterday was like or the day before. It's good to be with you this morning. Blessings, blessings from our Lord Jesus Christ to all of you. Um, We will be continuing in our Matthew series, this subset that we've been doing, and I think we have a couple more weeks on, is uh, Jesus confronting religion. Uh, Today I'll be looking at uh, Matthew 22, starting at the 23rd verse, if you want to turn in your Bibles and stick a thumb there for a few minutes from now. Matthew 22. Jesus has been responding to the religious sects that existed at the time of his earthly ministry over the last few chapters. He was confronted by the chief priests and the elders of the people in chapter 21 when they challenged his authority in verses 23 through 27 of that chapter. At the end of chapter 21, we read in verse 46, that the chief priests and the Pharisees were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they held him as a prophet. And he means the people held Jesus as a prophet. And notice that it's the chief priests and Pharisees in this, it will make an interesting point in a little bit. Jesus has continued to be a threat to their authority, and now they have come together to plot his arrests, and how to put an end to his meddling. In the middle of chapter 22, as it was covered in last week's sermon, the Pharisees plotted together to try and entangle Jesus in his words and with what he says. They're hoping to get him to say something towards Caesar that would be interpreted as treason, so as to get the Romans involved with dealing with Jesus. Jesus' response to their questions caused them to marvel. And they left him alone. Verse 22 of, of that chapter. In today's reading in chapter twenty-two, twenty-three, 23 we have the Sadducees stepping up to take a turn. A bit of historical context for us before we read today's passage. There are a couple of parties or groups of people that we should make sure that we understand who these groups are so that when we meet them in the story, we have a little bit better idea of uh, how it relates to that story in the ministry of Jesus. This will help us to understand and study these passages better. The Pharisees were a minority group. At the time of Herod, they probably only numbered about 6,000 people. They had possibly been around in one form or another, not necessarily called Pharisees at the time, all the way back to the times of Ezra in the Old Testament, so for quite a while. The Pharisees were typically from the lower class of society and the lower middle class, so many of us would have been in that um, uh, economic range that would potentially be of uh, people that would go into the uh, the group of Pharisees if you were to pursue that and they were more times than not artisans and therefore more in touch with the common man uh, they were the people that would be uh, seen in your neighborhood for instance uh, you know and 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 many times uh Enjoy being seen in your neighborhood, but they would be more likely to be someone that we would interact with on a daily basis as we were out doing our business. But this relationship with the people was somewhat strained because of their rigor interpretation of the law. And remember, the New Testament was not uh, written yet at the time of Jesus' ministry. And especially as these groups are looking back at their Bible, or what we call our Bible, their Holy Scriptures, they are looking at the Old Testament. And, and, and prior, primarily in a particular group of the, the, the Old Testament books that we study, or that we have part of our Bible. They were extremely accurate and minute in all matters pertaining to the law of Moses, which makes up the first five books of our Old Testament. According to the book of Acts, Paul claimed that he was a Pharisee, or had been before his conversion, when he appeared before the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees believe that the Babylon exile that had taken place a couple centuries before Jesus appeared on earth, uh, where the, uh, Israel had suffered, was caused by it caused Israel's failure or was the cause of uh, the exile was Israel's failure to keep the law, the Torah. It was punishment to the people of Israel. And the reason they went into to captivity is because they failed to follow the law. And uh, that probably had a lot to do with it. Uh, but that's what the Pharisees primarily believed. But the Torah was not only written law to the Pharisees, But they also had an oral law, which were instructions, which were used to help explain the written law. It was not only explanations, but also traditions. Uh, They would explain what this particular text meant, but many times they would expound upon it to the point of being ridiculous and became very legalistic. The oral law eventually, in many ways, became more revered than the written law to this sect. Pharisees hated Romans, which the Roman Empire was currently in control of pretty much the known world at the time, including Judea, where this has taken place. So they hated the Roman rule, and they hated the Herodians, and we'll talk about them in just a second, their influence on the uh, Israeli society or Israel society the Jewish society. A particular interest to today's sermon is that the Pharisees believed in an afterlife. They believed that whatever your relationship while you're here on earth, your social status, your physical health, your marital condition at death was how you would appear initially in the afterlife. And their reasoning behind that is otherwise How would we recognize you? How would we know it was you if you came back and you were different? So they thought whatever condition you were in, in this life, when you appeared in the afterlife, you would appear in the same conditions. Thankfully, they go on to believe that after it has been proven that it is you and that you have been resurrected, then you will eventually be transformed into the splendor that angels have. But first, you would appear the way you are, or at least the way you were. So then we have the Herodians. We don't know much about them, very little, just what we are told in the New Testament, and then there's some Jewish historians that uh, have written a little bit about them. They're not really a religious group, but more of a political group, that seemed to side with the Pharisees in the few times that we have them mentioned in the New Testament. Whenever the Pharisees are confronting Jesus, the Herodians seem to be present and involved in that particular incident. Herodians sympathize with the uh, Herodian rulers, which is where their name comes from, and their general policy of government and in the social customs that were introduced from Rome. They were of the mindset that, well, if the Roman Empire is in control of our country and they say that we should do this so that we get along with them, we should do this, whatever that may be. So they were agreeable to changing social customs to whoever's in charge. Herodians were probably partly made up of Sadducees, um, and I'll tell you why in just a second. And that does bring us to the group in today's reading, which are the Sadducees. And no matter how old I get, I remember the days from VBS and Sunday school on how to spell Sadducees, that for some reason seem to be taught to all of us because everyone nods their head and laughs at the same Little stance. So they were extremely accurate. I'm sorry. We are introduced to them several times in scriptures. And it's usually written something like this in scriptures. Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked a question, which is how uh, verse today is. In Acts 23, 8. They're introduced as, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. So obviously, to a Sadducee, these are important issues, because that's how they keep getting introduced to us in scriptures. That they believe there is no resurrection, and they don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in spirits. The Sadducees were the theological liberals of their day. The first time we hear about the Sadducees in scriptures is when they're on the shore of the Jordan River to see what John the Baptist is doing. Not a whole lot of confrontation, but they're wondering, who is this guy? Who is this prophet that we keep hearing about? So they went to the shores of Jordan to investigate. Most Jews dislike the priestly Sadducees because they embraced Roman customs accommodating themselves to Rome to maintain their priestly authority. So they figured out that if we wanted to be able to keep our priestly roles and authority, we got to get along with the Romans. We appease them. They allow us to remain in the authority that we have. So they looked at it as a, a good reason to do that. They were strictly from the wealthy class. If you were from that lower middle class group, you would not be a Sadducee. You wouldn't be welcome. You would never make it up that high. They were the elders in the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling power, the congress, if you will, of of Israel. And the chief priests, uh, many of the chief priests and the people in the upper echelon of the temple were Sadducees. And many of those in charge of the temple were their wealth came from their control on the temple and the temple grounds. And that brings a reminder to us of a, of a story from Scripture. They only accepted the Old Testament books, but held that the Pentateuch, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, is the sacred text. That's what they accept as the text that God gave the people of Israel. And that's what they based everything else on. They did not, some, some commentaries made it sound like they didn't accept the other books of the Old Testament at all. Others said that's not actually accurate. As long as they can confirm it with those first five books, then they would accept it. So they did accept tenets or doctrine, if you will, that was directly provable from those first five books. We do not have an encounter with the Sadducees very much so far in Matthew as, we've been, as we have been reading and studying this. And that's probably because Jesus really wasn't much of a bother or threat to them until recently. and What happened recently, especially knowing that they were in control of the temple and the temple grounds, When Jesus went into the temple grounds and cleared out the money changers and the sellers, that affected them. Jesus said concerning them in chapter 21 it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, and you make it a den of robbers. Jesus' actions now directly threatened their authority and worse, their pocketbook. I was in a job. I I, I have to be careful on these side notes because I can get running with them off and on, but I was in a job that uh, involved sometimes taking money from people by court order for various reasons, bankruptcy or whatever. And those were some of the most dangerous positions to be in when you're going to separate someone from their money or their possessions. They would give up a lot of things. But when you give, go after their pocketbook, you can have a beehive that you're dealing with instead of someone who's compliant and willing to give it up. So um, I can imagine that the, the people in charge of the temple after that took place were probably like a beehive or a wasp nest has been poked, and they're not happy. They also are concerned that if the Romans believe that Jesus and his followers were a threat to their control over Judea, that they would intervene. And this could result in the Sadducees losing their the freedoms that the Romans have granted them to run the temple and lead the people. So it, it's not only is he threatening them himself, but what happens if the Romans look at this as a resurrection, or, or a a a, a riot or, you know, someone stepping up to, to threaten their authority over Israel, they may come in and boot us out. And we don't want that either. All three groups, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees, are now threatened by what has been taking place. So much so that groups of people who would normally... Never get along or be found sometimes even in the same meeting together, have found a common threat to face together. They have now united together to get rid of this Jesus. So after all that, let's look at the text. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 22. And I'll be starting in the 23rd verse. The same day Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. Again, a key clue to us as the reader that this is something important. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died. And having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Which obviously means that they had sexual intercourse with her. But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For the resurrection that neither neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Amen. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now, as I've said, the Sadducees believed that only the first five books of the law was their sacred text and the text that God had given to the people of Israel. If an issue or topic wasn't presented in those books, then the Sadducees would not accept it. They believe that the issue of resurrection from the dead was not addressed in the law, so they refused to accept it. They believe that when you died, that was it. There was nothing after death. They believe that, when you, uh, that there was no future state, they, that there was no life after this, that when the body dies, the soul dies with it. There is no state of rewards or punishment in another world. There's no judgment to come in heaven or hell. They maintain that except for God, there was no spirit. So in their belief, you might as well enjoy life and get what you can while living because there is nothing following. What a dangerous belief. To have. Imagine if everyone who has ever lived believed and practiced this type of of, uh, of uh, system. That they would live life to the fullest, because there's nothing after this life. And while we may think and probably will would have some people who would take a moral stand and live not taking advantage of their fellow man. We know that human nature is that everybody would be out for themselves. and What a horrible world that would be. The Sadducees are not asking this question of Jesus to find out from a great teacher what the true answer is. When they come to him and they say, Teacher, Moses said, they're not coming to him really acknowledging him as a great teacher or a rabbi. They're mocking him because they're trying to set up a, a trap. So they're coming to him going, oh, teacher, we've got a story for you. See if you can figure this one out. That, that's more of the tone that this would be in. They have already rejected the idea of a resurrection as garbage, something that cannot happen. The Pharisees and Sadducees were frequently in heated arguments over many years over this very issue. The Pharisees would attempt to make defense of the argument of resurrection but as soon as they leave the the first five books of the law and start dealing with the other parts of Scripture, they get shut down. Because the Sadducees don't accept those as, as uh, sacred teaching and sacred law. So the Pharisees would make half-hearted defenses and the Sadducees would would reject it. The other thing that the Pharisees would typically try to do, and maybe they got more careful as time went on, is they would bring about arguments from the oral law. And that definitely wasn't accepted by the Sadducees. So in the eyes of the Sadducees, the Pharisees were never able to give a good argument supporting the resurrection. So they rejected it outright. So here, the Sadducees are stepping up to help entrap Jesus on on all their beliefs since the Pharisees seem to be failing to do this. Uh, So the Pharisees have tried, the chief priests have kind of tried, now is the Sadducees' turn to give it a try. They're all hoping to discredit him as a teacher. They're seeking Jesus' death, but the only way to do this is to accuse him of something that would be uh, a penalty of death, and that would be either blasphemy, Have him say something against the Holy Scriptures that they would be able to to convict him of or to get the Romans to kill him. So these are the two ideas that they're going with. So they're giving it a try at making this prophet of the people a laughingstock by bringing up an issue that they've already beaten down the Pharisees with for many years about the resurrection. They were pretty confident that they were going to be able to do and have the same success with Jesus. So again, he says, they say, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no children left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third down to the seventh. And after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. In their eyes, this was a completely ridiculous story that they're presenting. A married man died having no children. He has no offspring, no heir. That's troublesome in the culture of the time. I don't know that it, it's looked at quite the same today, but even today people think that if I have no children, have no heir, wasn't able to, then, you know, how does my family name continue on? In those days, it was very vital. And it was, it was even considered shameful to not have heirs and not have offspring. But he has seven unmarried brothers. This is known because the law is, uh, it's known that they're unmarried. I know the scripture doesn't necessarily say that, but we know that the law doesn't teach or permit polygamy or adultery. So he, they wouldn't have been presenting a, an example of anything other than single brothers marrying this wife, because that would be the way that it would normally be carried out. Each of the brothers accepted their responsibility under the law into their dead brother to take his wife as their own and to try to bring a son to carry on the deceased brother's name in his lineage. Each of the brothers married her and each died childless. Now, again, in that law enforcement mindset that I typically look at my world, If I had been dealing with this situation, I'd have a few questions. Why did every one of these brothers end up dying after they married this woman? I mean, is this a black widow situation or is it a a very elaborate murder mystery going on? If I was one of the brothers, I'd be skipping town. However, let's try to keep up with the question. Eventually, the woman dies too having no children. So this is setting up the scenario. Now this example is based on some fact of Mosaic law that was given to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. You can look that up later. And it was intended to preserve the land given to the various tribes of Israel and to preserve the family. This is called, and I'm not positive I'm saying this correct, but my sounding out of the word, I'm thinking it's liverate. It's L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, liverate marriage. We have a few examples given to us in the Old Testament of this, but the one that most of us would probably recognize is the marriage of Ruth to Boaz. That is recorded in the book of Ruth. Ruth, had married a son of Imalek named, anybody? Obed. Obed died and left her without children. Boaz enters the picture and marries Ruth and raises up a child in his brother's name. The first child that comes is the brother's child. And that's important to us because it's important to redemptive history because the future Messiah comes from the family of Emily, the one who died. So this is the way that... just saw a light come on. Uh, this is uh, important that this took place. So this law was something that the people knew and accepted, although it was unknown how often it may have actually been used at this particular time when Jesus was on earth. But it was something that they at least knew about. This was not a total uh, out of the dark question that's coming up. So the Sadducees come to Jesus with this question that seems to have no answer. Or if he was to answer it in one of many ways he would look like a fool or that he would be discredited because of his answer. And that's exactly what the Sadducees are hoping to cause. They're assuming that Jesus is going to reply in a way that a Pharisee would reply since Jesus' earthly religious teaching would have, been, would have been taught the teachings of the Pharisees. That would have been the, the group that would have been more commonly taught in his time. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was a child in Israel and that all the expectations and responsibilities of his parents to teach him and raise him to be a good Jewish person to be a follower of God was taking place in due time. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the God-man, but he, he did have similar experiences as we did in life. He grew up as a, from a baby to a man. And we don't want to forget that because it's important to us. But Jesus reproves them for their ignorance with his answer, and then corrects their teaching. He tells the Sadducees that they are wrong, that they err. In fact, the Greek word that Jesus is using in its passive tense means that they went astray, to go astray. It's as if Jesus is saying, you're causing yourself to wander with your thinking, the way you're answering this, the way you're looking at it. And he gives two reasons, which is wonderful for us as stud- study, uh, students of the Word. He gives us the reasons why he says a error. First, they do not know the Scriptures. And secondly, that they do not know the power of God. Now this would have been a slap in the face of these men. They are the learned Men and leaders of Israel, they know the scriptures, especially that first five books. They have a lot less to really worry about, so they ought to be able to really know the first five books really good. Pharisees, they got to know all this other stuff. They prided themselves in knowing the books of the law, and they excelled in arguing their beliefs and points, especially when it came to the Pharisees. And here is this Jesus rebuking them, correcting them. They do not know the scriptures because the scriptures explicitly teaches that a soul is immortal and that there is an afterlife, primarily in later books of the Old Testament, which is why it's important that they had accepted the other books. It was taught in the law, and the books of the prophet, and as Paul said in Acts 24 to Felix, but this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The Old Testament taught that there's an afterlife and that there's a resurrection. In Job 19, in Ezekiel 37, in Daniel chapter 12, all of these speak of a resurrection and an afterlife. But the Sadducees did not accept these, and therefore they rejected their teaching. I thought when I was reading this and studying this that in just a couple of days... These men were going to have a very vivid and clear picture and example of the resurrection with this very man that they're trying to trick. Because in a couple of days, he will die on the cross. And three days later, he rises again. Of course, we know that they also rejected that, many of them. Jesus corrects their false teaching on marriage in this example that he gives or this answer that he gives by explaining that we will not marry or be given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. Now notice the way he said that, that we are not angels, but that we are like angels. That is important. So what are angels like? They're spiritual beings, they're eternal beings, they're not given in marriage, and they don't procreate. There's a fixed number of angels, but since they don't die, there's no reason to replace them. Marriage is necessary in this life, in in our human life, in the current life, to provide uh, not only a helpmate and a partner for life, but one of the the main reasons, important reasons, was to to reproduce. Since humans die, there has to be reproduction to maintain the human race. Otherwise, it, it would have died off many centuries ago, in all likelihood. Like Luke's parallel recounting of this incident, he says... But to those who are considered worthy to attain to this to that age, and to the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more, because they are equal to angels, and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So Luke gives us a little better answer, explaining his, Jesus's answer uh, better than uh, I think we get from. Matthew, but it's important that you look at those various stories and kind of glean from all of them. We will be equal to angels, we'll be equal in deathless, we will be equal spiritually, we'll be equally glorified, we'll be eternal, and there's no longer needed to reproduce, and therefore not a need for the present institution of marriage. So the question that the Sadducees asked is asked without understanding the state of people in eternity. One commentary on this subject explained God's creative power will so transform the nature of existence that the normal conditions of life will no longer be in effect. Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen five that we will all be changed. The question the Sadducees exhibited or gave shows that they did not understand the true nature of eternal life when they asked it. Jesus looked at them and was like, you don't even understand what it is that you're trying to trick me with here. Then Jesus used a verse from the Pentateuch, Exodus 3.6, to correct the Sadducees. Remember that this man, Jesus, is the Word of God. For the thought, for us to be able to look back, but the thought that these men would come to Jesus to try to trick him, to us, would appear to be totally ridiculous. How would you even think that was a possibility? But Jesus is the Word of God. There is no one that knows God's Word as He does. Because He is the Word. No rabbi, no prophet, no Pharisee or Sadducee who knows the Word of God better than Jesus does. So now He addresses the resurrection specifically. And he says in verse 31, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. In using this verse, Jesus is quoting what his father said to Moses from the burning bush. Many years after the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had been dead. In fact, they had been dead for centuries when this took place. But he uses very important words. He uses the present tense. God told Moses, I am. He could have said, I was. He could have said, I will be, but he doesn't. He said, I am. He is not the God of people who no longer exist. No, he is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob who lives. They live. He is not the God of dead men. He is the God of the living and has a personal, intimate relationship with them as he does with all his children. Our eternal, unchanging God had made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and he will bring it to fulfillment. With this response, Jesus crushed the arguments of the Sadducees because it's taken from those first five books. He did what the Pharisees could never do. And he shook their belief system in the sense of the Sadducees believing that there was nothing there to to prove about the resurrection. He had done what even the best of the Pharisees could not have done. Verse 33 says the crowd who heard it was astonished by his teaching. They recognized the superiority of his logic to that of the Jewish leaders. They were astonished. Of interest uh, to these three groups, after the destruction of the temple that takes place in AD 70, the Sadducees end up fading into the pages of history. We don't hear of them anymore because where did their wealth and authority come from? The temple. The temple grounds. Since it was no longer there, they didn't have their source of authority and, and, and revenue any longer. So they ceased to exist. So Jesus responds to them that you don't understand the power of God. You don't understand that when G- God says He can do something or that He will do something, that He has the power to be able to do it and He will carry it out. And about the resurrection, and He uses the example of, um, I'm looking for a Kleenex, but normally have them up here. But the... Uh, The added uh, answer we get in here is also with uh, marriage in heaven and uh, how that works out. But the main point of this particular text was dealing with the power of God. Thank you. The power of God and the resurrection. And it also continues to show the power of God because the one who's talking to them is God the Son, and what he's able to do and what he will be doing in just a couple days from this time. Of course, it's going to take a little longer than a couple days to get to it as the way we're preaching since we only do this every Sunday, but pretty soon we'll be looking uh, at, at that text. So as we move into communion now, the resurrection and eternity is one of those things that we look at when we remember Christ's life, death, and resurrection, taking uh, communion together. Uh, we look at the, the past, we look at the present, and we look forward to the future. The life uh, after we're resurrected and living with God and Christ in heaven and on the new earth for eternity. And uh, Don't know when that's going to happen. Scripture tells us it's soon. And uh, we'll see when God comes back. But let's take communion together. If you uh, ushers will come forward and pass out the elements, please hold them until we uh, are all served. And we'll celebrate it together.